Welcome to this edition of the Post-Christian Podcast today. I'm excited to have with me Grant Falk. How are you doing, Grant? Doing great. Even better now that I'm with you. Well, it's been a few weeks in the making, uh, introduced by a mutual friend. I guess you were officiating a wedding. Uh, My friend here from Austin was at out in California, and she just thought, Eric, you've got to meet Grant. He's doing some amazing things. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't necessarily know some of the work you're doing. Well, um, so I am a um, a person who's really passionate about seeing reconciliation happen on a variety of levels. Uh, So, of course, uh, as somebody who's a minister of the gospel, reconciliation between God and man, uh, reconciliation between uh, people themselves, and then uh, reconciliation with uh, God's plan for our lives. You know what 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 that's supposed to look like in practical ways. And so one of the things that has always been a passion of mine due to my background as being both Jew and Gentile, uh, and then also being married to a black woman for 29 years and raising a multi-ethnic family, uh, being involved in multi-ethnic ministry um, and uh, and everything that goes along with that, um, both positive and negative, um, is, is uh, really um, the last two years have really highlighted uh, the fact that not enough has been done in that area. And so I'm really trying to uh, figure out a way to address much of what you've had in previous uh, podcasts with uh, the post-Christian dynamic that we're that we're dealing with here. Um, And so so that's really the the main thing for me is is being an instrument of healing and and uh, really helping things to um, helping things to move from where they've been to where where God has for us to go. You know, it's incredibly tragic, really, that the church isn't known as a place where reconciliation happens. When you read the scriptures, I mean, it's right there, Jew and Gentile becoming one family. And it sounds like that's your background personally, you know. (laughs) And I just wonder, why do you think the church is missing this moment and, and what can we do to capture it? Because it, we're not going to reach the post-Christian world if we're not relevant to that world. And especially those who are Gen Z, millennials, they're not going to put up with the tribalism and the prejudice of their parents and grandparents. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's what's happened is, well, a few things. Um, I think that there has been an, a truncated view of God and the gospel. I think that's the, the first issue that we've had, that because it's been so conflated and intertwined with um, Americanism, um, so not to say that America is a horrible place and we shouldn't love it, but I think that when we, that we've elevated it to the point where there's, there's a, a, a muddying of the waters. And so uh, human power being merged with uh, the initiatives of God usually ends up with the initiatives of, of humans, not God. <laughs> so uh, being fulfilled. So um, so I think that's really what we've seen happen. Uh, that's one of the things that I try to do is, you know, there's a lot of people out there um, that are doing a great job at, at trying to give a better witness to the world of, of, uh, of a more fuller concept of who God is, both righteousness and justice. Um, in fact, it says that numerous times throughout the Bible. Um, you know, one of the favorite verses, I know a lot of people like to quote a Psalm uh, 89, 14, 
the foundations of his throne are righteousness and justice. Um, so I think, first of all, we, we, when we are only acknowledging a certain part of, of God's personhood and character, we're only going to end up with a, a limited amount of, of his heart, first of all, uh, towards humanity. Um, but we're also going to be limited in our effectiveness. Um, we're not walking by the spirit with the spirit because we're denying parts of the spirit's initiative um, to to be uh, concerned with the weightier matters, matters of the law, mercy and justice. And so uh, I think that's that's this kind of the second uh, issue. The third issue, I would say, is that even though we're in a post-Christian uh, society and world, there's still enough Christian things being communicated, uh, especially when we're being called on the carpet for not uh, being consistent in our Christianity, uh, to where they know that there's aspects of Christianity that do deal with issues of social justice and 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 not only uh, you know abortion or or political things, but 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 going into these other areas of uh, racial justice of um, economic justice of, you know, different things like that. And so, uh, what happens is, is, is it's, it's like that verse, um, uh, in, uh, I think it's Romans eight nineteen, where it talks about that, that all creation is, is waiting for the sons of God to be manifest. Like, like we know you have the answers, you know, you have something that can help. You're not using it since you're not doing it. We're going to get up and we're going to do it. And so that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing the Gen Zers and, uh, millennials and whatever other label we want to put on the group um, is is tired of waiting around uh, for something that we could have and should have been doing more of. And so now they're taking up the, the banner and, and trying to do it the best they can. Yeah. I mean, there was an interview uh, a few back in my podcast with Derwin Gray, and, and I I asked him about a quote I'd heard from him in another podcast about uh, the young adults aren't leaving the church. They're leaving the white church, you know, meaning the homogenous church. And, and I'll add to that. He didn't say this, but I think the reality is if you grew up in America, you grew up, uh, especially as a Caucasian, probably with a hyper individualistic mindset. And so our Christianity became about you and God. And that was it. And certainly, you, you know, your relationship with God should change how you treat your family but it didn't really go beyond that. And if you learn from folks who grew up with different cultural context uh, that has more of a, you know, a family orientation that is more uh, communal, then all of a sudden you see a different expression of the same gospel message, but it's, it's actually not just changing you and your relationship with God, but you should be changing the environment in which you live, you know, bringing more of heaven to earth. One of the organizations you're a part of is called Civil Righteousness. I think the website is civilrighteousness.org. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about that. Well, I got introduced to them in uh, 2020 when everything was breaking loose. Uh, and uh, we formed a kind of a local group here in Sacramento of just people who are concerned about um, getting Christians to realize that part of the gospel uh, is is uh, doing justice, like you said, and which is is kind of more of a a communal aspect, uh, communal focus. Uh, instead of just me being individually righteous, you know, this righteousness needs to manifest uh, horizontally 
And, uh, and so um, one of the, the uh, groups that we got connected to during that time through uh, one of my ministry partners, Brittany Baker, was civil righteousness and uh, J.T. Thomas, Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. And so he was really speaking into a lot of things prophetically at that time and had been actually doing work in Ferguson. He started uh, back with the Michael Brown um, incident. Uh, he moved, picked up stakes, and God told him to go to Ferguson, Missouri and be a peacemaker there. And so um, here he is, you know, the six foot five, six foot six uh, African-American man, you know. So uh, he, he, he has a kind of a commanding presence, but a very gentle touch. And so uh, he's able to really uh, I think do a lot to help move things along in the right direction in Ferguson, Missouri. And so then from there, it just grew to where it's national and even international to a certain extent, uh, just, you know, because he uh, stepped out and, and chose to be to allow himself to be kind of put in that position. And so uh, civil righteousness, uh, the, um, the basically the mission statement is uh, reconciliation and restorative justice uh, through uh, culture, through spiritual, uh, cultural and economic renewal. And so it's it's making this thing not only something that we talk about, but that we be about. And uh, so there's different things that happen with civil righteousness. There's things that are done, uh, whether it be uh, prayer. Um, there's a lot of networking with other organizations like 24-7 Prayer, um, Lisa Coons, um, which, by the way, she'd, she'd be a great interview, too. Um, <laughs> she's in Tulsa, I think. Um, and uh, and then uh, one race out of Atlanta uh, and um, and campaign also out of Atlanta. Um, Be the bridge, uh, Latasha Morrison. Uh, so, uh, in fact, also uh, right, I think locally you've got somebody there um, uh, with uh, Michelle Ami Reyes uh, there uh, with the, um, uh, uh, the Asian American Christian Coalition. So, uh, so, so it, it's just this network just kind of formed. And so even though my main commitment is to civil righteousness, uh, you know, we end up finding each other. People who are in this work, you know, we end up finding each other. Uh, I, I joke that uh, in 2020, after everything happened, and uh, at first a lot of Christians, um, you know, kind of had the aha moment. A lot of uh, white evangelical Christians, of course, black Christians have been living through this forever. But um a lot of more uh, people who are more sheltered from that had their, their epiphany briefly until the pundits started weighing in and, and basically giving people reasons to not be compassionate. Um, and uh, so at that time, I was really just lamenting that, man, you know, I, I feel like I'm all alone. You know, a lot of the people that I had been doing life and ministry with now were, you know, ostracizing me and, you know, and didn't really want to hear this stuff. And um, and so, I, you know, had that that uh, Elijah moment, you know, in the wilderness. Oh, I'm the only one, you know, everybody's turned again. And so, so after um, we formed this group, I, I realized I wasn't alone. And uh, there's more than 7,000 other people out there <laughs> like me. And, uh, and so I think that's, um, that's been encouraging. Um, however, um, since then, you know, it, as, as most things that kind of have a, a fervor at first, eventually that fervor kind of starts to peter out. And especially as people, experience trauma and isolation and uh, other things that come as a result of doing uh, this kind of work. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm thankful for civil righteousness. I'm thankful for all these different uh, ministries that are doing this work um, because uh, it, it does help to keep us going um, and, uh, and also gives hope that uh, uh, more people can be reached. Well, and that's the beauty. Uh, Tasha Morrison actually was a part of our team here at Gateway and was just, I mean, every 
day off ended up being a speaking engagement. So eventually she moved to full time, be the bridge. And that's worked out great for her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I remember when I was in Los Angeles at Mosaic, Erwin McManus, our pastor there would say, whenever the church did not rise up to its calling, a parachurch ministry would start. You know, when, mm -hmm. when the church wasn't giving youth a mission, that's when YWAM was born. When the church wasn't reaching campus, you know, the campuses, Campus Crusade was born. And you can just go on and on in history. And I think this is another one of those moments where the church has shied away from being reconcilers and peacemakers in a very polarized world. We get sucked into one side or the other in politics instead of rising above that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, civil righteousness, be the bridge. These other organizations that you've mentioned are trying to stand in the gap. And, and my hope is, and maybe you've seen this, um, it's amazing how when you're doing this work, there are people who are not believers who believe in racial reconciliation that might get caught up in the story of God's redemption, them personally. And then there's also, I think, skeptical believers who might be on the edge of deconstruction that might see what you and these other organizations are doing and say, okay, wait, no, that's what's been missing. Talk about when you say reaching people, have you seen folks coming to faith or, or discovering kind of a, a fuller, more vibrant faith? Yes. Um, I'd like to say that it's happened more than I've seen it, but, but I have seen it. Um, you know, there, there is, it's interesting. Yeah. We're in some cases we're we're almost able to reach the unchurched and the unbelieving uh, some, in some cases easier than we are uh you know, people who you think would, would, would get it because it's right there in scripture. Like just read the whole thing instead of just the bits and pieces you want to read, you know? Um, and so the, um, that, that's been interesting. Uh, there's actually, uh, we had unfortunately a hashtag here in Sacramento, uh, back in 2018, uh, with Stefan Clark, uh, being one of those, uh, police related fatalities. And, um, and so, uh, through, um, our work, we've, be we've actually become connected to, to them, uh, to that family, uh, through Stevante Clark, uh, his brother, who who is um, part of uh, National Action Network now, as a result of that, and and so you know, he not to say that they're not all believers. Some of them are believers, but you know, it's it's a mixture, um, and the um, the 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 thing is, is I think that it's almost like there's a sense of relief. Like I was saying with my third point, you know, it's like they know we've got something. They've seen things in the past, like with the. Uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, so they, they've heard things from the Bible and quotes, you know, when it comes to certain occasions. So they know that there's something there and that Christians at times have done some good things when it comes to a gospel that's more holistic and comprehensive. And so when they finally see it in real life right in front of them and they hear somebody like myself, who obviously is, it looks different than them, um, they're kind of like, oh, yes, like, thank I don't know if they say thank God, but <laughs> they're thankful to, to, to whatever. Um, so uh, that has happened. Um, and um, and then also just providing spaces yeah, for Christians. Uh, so the uh, church I was previously at, uh, I led a, a, a co-led, co-facilitated a group called uh, Real Life Unity. And um, so that was uh, a Real Life Unity Talks is what it was called. And so that was a place for people like myself, um, most of them not being connected to ministries that I was connected to. So for, for us to be able to have these conversations, first of all, dealt 
with the issues that need to be dealt with, but then also put them in contact with other organizations outside of us where they can get content, they can get training, they can get, you know, the things that, that uh, need that people need to be able to feel a sense of hope. And, that, and I think that's one of the main things, at least for me, is it's one thing to just hear the right stuff and, and say the right stuff. But when you actually feel like you're being part of the solution, to me, that's like the, the biggest source of hope. You know, when I'm not doing anything like there's like right now, we're kind of on hiatus. You know, it's like I get so much in my head that that, uh, you know, I start to to think that, you know, maybe it's too too much. It's too hard. It's, you know, um, but when you're actually out there doing the work and you're seeing differences being made, um, you know, it's just like anything else, like ministry or anything else. You know, you feel like there's a sense of hope and purpose. And and that's what keep, keeps you going. That's right. Yeah. And to me, it's it's one of those things that I think there are some white evangelicals that shy away from this topic because of the news station they might be watching, you know, or, or some of these straw men thrown out like critical race theory and all these uh, conspiracy theories. But I do think that it's it's much simpler than that. It's literally about learning to be an empathetic listener, to be a peacemaker, to be someone willing to have conversations, to hear someone else's story, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I mean, so much of the work that I've seen, the organizations you've mentioned, another one we've worked with is Stronger Together. I don't know if you know Dr. Clarence Hill. His work through the Dream Clock has been really beautiful. I mean, he is very intentional about not using partisan language, about sticking with what the scriptures say and calling people to love their neighbor and their neighbor might look differently than them. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. their neighbor might have experienced trauma and things that you haven't, which doesn't make you guilty. It makes you an advocate if you're willing. Yes. What are some other next steps or a first step for a pastor who's trying to figure out how do I step into this world without getting lumped into the, the partisanship, what's some advice you would give? Um, I, I would say like what you've done, uh, you know, you stronger together. Um, I heard you also were doing a series called voices. I think that was, uh, was that through uh, our daily bread, uh, what they do? Uh, well, well, actually we featured them on Juneteenth. Uh, they, okay. they wrote a great uh, Juneteenth devotional. So uh, voices is, is oftentimes linked to authors that we bring in. And sometimes it's people from different ethnic backgrounds uh, whose story is different than ours. Uh, other times it's more about, you know, like a scientist who came to faith or, or that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're, they're, I like where you're headed, just this kind of idea of creating space for new voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to, to get equipped uh, to allow ourselves to be re-discipled, uh, as David Swanson uh, talks about re-discipling the white church, um, you know, I think that it's, that we have to understand that, that, um, that we've we've been given a limited a limited gospel. Now I, I know that people are going to scream. What do you mean? You know, it's it's, it's sufficient. Of course, it's sufficient. Um, salvation is is the is the first step. Um, but we are saved unto good works, and so uh, those works are are laid out in in things like uh, doing justice. You know, um, uh, Jesus in his first sermon, his first sermon, uh, Luke four, uh, talks about being uh, anointed by the Spirit. Uh, to preach good news to the poor, to uh, uh, set the uh, prisoners free, to uh, open blind eyes, and uh, and then also finally to uh, to set, set the oppressed free. 
And, uh, and then also, you know, this whole concept of Jubilee, you know, he ends that statement with of uh, waiving debts of setting uh, uh, slaves and, and people free and uh, wiping the slate clean and, and starting over. And so um, I think that uh, the thing is, is to, is to really tap into to groups who are already doing this stuff. So whether it be civil righteousness, uh, one race, um, people like that, um, and, and allow yourself to be re-discipled. Uh, one race actually does stuff where they do uh, with, work with pastors to help pastors better understand uh, why we're in the mess that we're in and, and, and what we need to do moving forward. And I think the other thing too, is this proximity. You mentioned compassion. You can't be around suffering people and not have compassion, especially if you, if you really have the Holy spirit within a, within you. So I think that it's key. I mean, I think for me, I, you know, I've been the, in the minority in most environments I've been in for the last 30 years, 32 years. 33 years. Um, so, so when I'm now in that position of being in the minority and not having the power not having the final say, um, and, and having to humble myself and learn and uh, learn how to work with people in a more communal uh, way and not be so individualistic and not be so rights focused on my own rights, but rather advocating for the rights of others as we're called to do, uh, in, in Isaiah and other places. But, um, you know, I think that's the key is these pastors have to get out of uh, out of the comfortable spaces that they've been in where everybody is coming from a certain sociological and political and economic uh, and ethnic background and 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 not just pick and choose people who look different than us, but agree with us actually be in spaces where we're being challenged, where iron is sharpening iron uh, and we're having to uh, decenter ourselves and decenter our, our culture. You know, and because a lot of people don't realize it. I mean, like Daniel Hill talks about in, in Wide Awake is that a lot of white people, we think we don't have any cultural influence. Like we don't have a culture. You know, we go to, um, you know, an event like he talked about his his uh, best friend that uh, was uh, Indian American and uh, was, uh, you know, South South uh, Asian Indian um, and uh, was having a, a wedding and everything that was associated with the wedding, the cultural and, and Daniel uh, Hill said to him, you know, wow, you know, this is really cool. You know, I, I, w- I wish we had culture, you know, as white people. And, and the Indian friend said to him, you do have a culture and your culture has, you know, the, the, is the dominant influence. So the sooner you know uh, and understand what your culture is and what it's doing, the better off we're all going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I think that once we decenter ourselves and, de- and, and, real- and, and stop normalizing um, our experience, then, then that's when we can start to have compassion for others and realize that what we're hearing on the media, uh, is slanted on both sides. Both sides. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We read that book after the tragedy with George Floyd, white awake. And I thought that was a great story you just shared because in essence, you know, for those of us who are white, we're, 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 it's like a, a water, a, a fish describing water. You know, it's like, it's just what you live in. But if you're not white, you absolutely see the barriers and the boundaries that a white predominant culture uh, creates. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I used to say, or I guess I still joke from time to time, you know, if it was just about us and God, then when we came to faith, you know, the pastor should have just kept us under during the baptism so we could go straight to Jesus. 
but he does it. You know, he brings us out of the water because there are good things for us to do and bringing more of heaven to earth. You know, another resource to mention, justpackscollective.com. That's uh, a, a campus pastor, another pa- two, two of our pastors here at our church uh, that help pastors kind of with those next steps. Well, Grant, mm-hmm. I'm just really grateful for the work you've been doing. Thankful for the time with you today. Thanks for these insights and God bless. Keep up your great work. Thank you. God bless and uh, appreciate everything you're doing.